The blueberry industry is like no other. Passionate, resilient, and innovative. This podcast is your source for the latest information on the production, markets, research, and technology related to blueberry production. This is the business of blueberries. Here's your host, president of the U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council, Casey Cronquist. Well, welcome back to another episode of the Business of Blueberries, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to the blueberry industry. Well, we've really been enjoying these tech episodes every few weeks. It's been a great way to feature both innovative growers and companies who are trying to bring new technologies to the industry. We have another tech episode here for you today. So, of course, today I have my trusty co-host with me for this episode, Rod Cook. Rod, give us some background about why you sought out this topic for today's episode. You know, we've done a lot of kind of mechanical innovation things, the machine harvesting, and we've talked about robots and drones and things like that. And, you know, so much of farming is really about the soil. And one of the real innovative changes that's come along, at least in my career through the industry, is this move from everybody just assuming from the get-go you're going to plant your blueberry plants in the ground And now more and more people are planting these things in pots and substrates. And I thought it'd be really interesting for us to kind of get that perspective from both a a grower who has done this on a reasonably large scale, as well as one of the leading companies that provides substrates specific to many of the plants, including blueberries. So we've got Jordan Pratt with us, who's a grower, been involved in blueberries, uh, currently he's in Hawaii, and we won't castigate him for that. But uh, and, then, and then we also have Pablo Segovia from uh, Legro, which is uh, probably the world's leader in substrate production coming out of the Netherlands uh, in their home base. And like many of the things around that we like about blueberry industry. It's a family-owned organization, been in business since, I think, 1924. So a great history of a company that's grown and really is a leader within the, the substrate deal. So a little different twist on technology today. Yeah, but technology nonetheless. So what do you think the main overarching questions that they will want to know from this episode? I think it's important. I mean, what little I know about it, and we played with this a long time ago when I was working with growers in the southeastern U.S. And, you know, it's a very different sort of thing. The good news about substrates is it's very precise. So all of these issues that most growers battle uh, with nutrient and pH, especially with blueberries, that can be remedied very easily. But unlike the ground that gives you this great ability to buffer nutrients and water and things like that, you got to be on your toes with substrate. So while it gives you some great benefits, it also causes you to really have to pay a lot more of attention. So I think getting a grower's perspective, why you would choose to go this way, and then getting the kind of insight from uh, an industry leader that's built substrate specifically for these plants ought to be pretty interesting, I think. Well, I'll be interested to learn more myself. I I know in the floral industry, which has been my background, uh, the Holland has been quite the technology leader in the substrate production there as well and and just providing different ways different mediums for you know the the plants to be able to grow and and provide that precision in production so we're looking forward to digging into this i myself am interested in this topic as well so we're going to jump in here but before we do let's take a quick break for our crop report 
During this time of year, we get reports coming from important blueberry growing areas like Mexico and Peru and Chile. So here once again is your blueberry crop report. It's time now for your blueberry crop report, an update on crop conditions and markets from important blueberry areas around the globe. Today, you'll hear from Andres Armstrong in Chile. This was recorded on December 9th, 2020. Hello, everyone. This is Andres Armstrong. I'm from the Chilean Blueberry Committee with the uh, weekly crop report up to week 49. This is information up to week 48, though. Uh, well, the regions in the central and south central zone are those that are contributing with the highest volumes at the moment and, and are already in full season for early varieties with volumes that are in the rise. Meanwhile, the southern zone is starting with the first harvest in the region of Araucanía, similar to the previous season. However, shipments from Chile continue to be a week behind the initial estimate, with 9 million pounds exported during week 48, and a total of 23.2 million pounds up to week 48, which is 11% less compared to uh, the previous season at the same week. As mentioned in the previous editions, this is due to less degree accumulation. However, according to temperature forecast for the next weeks, it is expected that this um, differential will recover. This is our report for the moment. Thank you very much for the opportunity to sharing this with you. Thank you so much to our colleagues from around Latin America who take the time to participate in these crop reports. I've heard some great feedback from many of you who really have appreciated the continuation of our crop report throughout this season in Chile, Peru, and Mexico. But let's dive back into this episode. Rob, could you introduce our featured guests? You bet. Thanks, Casey. Yeah, today we have with us Jordan Pratt, and Jordan is currently farm director of the Kauai Organic Farms. Now, it's a ginger and turmeric production Yes, in Hawaii. And uh, as I sort of mentioned that off the top, and you know, now that the cold area is uh, kind of closing in on us, I'm guessing we're going to have to talk with Jordan a bit more to get people back to understand that his blueberry production wasn't in Hawaii, it was in California. But we also have Pablo Segovia from Allegro, and I've already talked a bit about the company. So I'm going to, at this moment, turn it over to Jordan Talk to us a little bit more about your experience and your blueberry production. Sure. Uh, thanks, Rod and Casey, for having me on today. So I'd come from a farming background, and uh, in late 2015, two partners and I founded a company called Landbau Ranches in the Central Valley of California, located right around Visalia in particular. And we started with the modest intent to jump into the blueberry industry. And we planted our first field. It was a nine acre block uh, with the birds varieties out of Florida. And that was a soil planting. And uh, pretty quick after getting started, we knew we wanted to expand on the new venture. And I had a friend that was a blueberry grower in our area that had come across Pablo and met with Pablo about substrate. And uh, he thought, you know, I'd be the kind of person that'd like to dive into something new like that and it would be open to a different way of growing blueberries. And so we scheduled a meeting with Pablo and then from there we got started right away. Our first substrate planting was a 13-acre block, about 50,000 plants uh, with two common varieties, Spring High and Snow Chaser. And um, we planted that in the fall of 2016, I believe, and that very next spring, um, we actually picked 
a little bit of fruit. And then from there, we went on to develop another uh, ranch that was about 300,000 plants in substrate. And uh, along with that, we uh, had bought a planting line to actually plant the plants and fill the pots with substrate. And so we started developing ranches for other growers. And we got real familiar with different substrates and varieties and pots and fertigation systems. And uh, it turned out to be a really good venture for us. Thanks, Jordan. Also, as uh, you folks out there listening to us always know, we have a grower. We also try and bring somebody in from the industry. In this case, we brought Pablo Segovia in and he works for Legro and is based here in the United States. Sure, definitely, Rod. It's, it's my pleasure to be here. Thank you, Casey, for, for this invitation. Briefly, I can tell you that uh, my roots are based in Ecuador, where I was born and raised. I am an agronomist with uh, some passion, great passion about that technology. And I got my MS degree, and that's the reason why I went to the Netherlands um, to do my farm technology master's in Wageningen University. Then my great motivation was to learn from the best about proved experience on soilless productive system. Then uh, I realized that one of the secrets of the success of uh, high-value crops is the election on the right growing media type, independently on the crop. Especially for me, uh, it's possible to say at this time that uh, the first step to the professionalization and agriculture is to avoid the use of soil. In this way, you reduce uncertainties and you reach total control on your crop. All of these led me into to join Legro, a sastry manufacturing company that is based in the Netherlands, as you explained. I am now leading the commercial offices based in Mexico and another one based in the USA, where we serve our clients with technical support and a full logistic solution. I am currently here in the USA, in California, at the West Coast. Uh, Legro is a family-owned company, as you also said. Uh, we focus on the berry and vegetable production, young plants, tree nurseries, mushroom casing as well. And what we've learned is that the passion and knowledge about the raw materials are the key aspects to ensure the standard quality and the consistent supply on long-term business relationships. So more or less, that's what uh, I can tell you about me. <laughs> that's fantastic. Thank you so much. And, and I also should say that uh, Pablo, I first had a conversation with him as a consultant myself. I actually had been asked by a couple of growers uh, what substrates to use, things like that. They were going into an area where the soils really are not very suitable. And so I got a chance to chase down Pablo at LaGroat. We had a very long conversation about what we should, shouldn't be talking to this grower about those kind of things, which led directly to this. And then Pablo brought Jordan to us as well. So I, I want to thank you personally for that as well. It's a pleasure. So, Jordan, going back to you, I, I mean, we know some issues with the Central Valley, but there are a lot of blueberries being grown there. What was the driving factor for you in choosing substrate production? You know, you had planted that first nine-acre block. Why did you decide to go away from soil production and, and into the substrate? What really drove uh, you there? One, one of the prime factors in that decision is that there was a couple blocks that became available to us. And of course, we were growing organic. And with the three-year lag time, we didn't like the numbers around that and the structure that we were trying to set up. We, our first block, we had begun to transition it to organic. And what Legro allowed us to do was go in on top of a conventional piece of ground. We'd lay plastic down and then we'd be able to plant right then 
And then, you know, we'd get to skip that three year wait period with the NOP organic ruling. So we got to be organic day one, and that was a big factor. And since then, there's been some changes to that. Um, I believe that you're no longer allowed to do that. And then secondly, I got to go to Holland as well as several other countries. But one of my big deciding factors was going to Holland and getting to view blueberries that were planted in substrate that were on their eighth or ninth year and being able to see the longevity out of that and how well the plants had grown um, was really exciting to us. You know, not having to deal with any of the, the adverse conditions of the soil, organic matter can be really low there in the Central Valley in our soils. We were bringing tons and tons of bark in on rail cars and just constantly having to do that and apply that as an amendment became a bit tedious. And by planting in substrate, we didn't have to do that. So just to clarify for me, you're using substrate, but were you actually going into pots or were you putting this into, I mean, in in Georgia in the early days using substrate, we just simply laid tarp down on the ground and we piled a whole bunch of bark and organic materials up over the top of that. And we planted right into that up on top of the ground, not even in pots. How how were you doing? Uh, we it were here? growing in a, a 25 liter pot from Plant Logics. We'd done quite a bit of research on that, and you know, with Legro's help and recommendations, we found a pot that you know would target the lifespan that we were trying to get out of plants and uh, would hold up to the the harsh sun and environment in the Central Valley. And so yeah, we were in a a 20 25 liter pot, which is. I believe just under seven gallons. So, so Pablo, we've heard kind of from Jordan uh, his interest in the substrate. How did you work with them, and and can you tell more about what Legro has done, their background in blueberries specifically, and um, how you guys have developed the substrates for specific plants? Uh, sure. Uh, well, Le- Legro did uh, formal research in two thousand eight, together with Wageningen University and also a consortium of growers who were called the Blueberry Innovation Center. The objective was to prepare a substrate blend that would be suitable for a six to eight year of uh, substrate production of blueberries. And then the drivers of this trial, of this process, was the real the lack of suitable soils, uh, water use regulations that are becoming more and more important in the time, optimal crop and management, and the production cost efficiency. And uh, the main conclusion achieved is uh, that it's, it's really all about selecting the right ingredients, the right material. Some insights that, that we learned and also we like to share and present to our, to our customers and, and potential clients is, is for instance, meal peat moss decomposes very fast and quick. And uh, yeah, as, as, as the same way, all the particles and everything shrinks and generates wet bottom layers at the bottom of the pots. Pine bark, for instance, or green waste compost are not really stable materials for long-term crops. For instance, coir fibers that is very popular are, and nowadays very common to be used in different industries ensure water capillarity and also promote the development of a skeleton, but in the right mix and in the right proportion. Other things that, for instance, are relevant is that we created at the end of a blend called CP Optima, and this blend is made of special hard block peat moss. The peat moss is harvested in a different way. So we keep the structure and the raw material itself in the way that it will last for long term. Core fibers, we also include buffered core. Buffered core, it is a material that is free of salt, of sodium and potassium, that 
is a real pollutant for blueberry plants. Perlite in general is a mineral product of this mineral region. And uh, from the chemical and from the physical perspective, this substrate is manufactured with the desired and accurate pH and EC levels. But the last and, and not least, to be honest, it gives you the ideal porosity because it's the right balance of water and air for a fiber rooting system that it will be very homogeneous, especially in the blueberry plant. So those are mainly the insights in the technical and scientific aspects that I would say is valuable for our customers. So, Jordan, I wanted to talk with you a moment about, you know, some of the successes, but sadly, most of us learn more from our mistakes than from our successes. I, I just wondered if you'd share with the listeners any of your observations. I mean, if you're going to do it all over again, let's pretend Pablo's not listening in here, but <laughs> are there things that you would do differently or are you doing differently? Because you're still working with some growers, I take it, on how to put these things together, but things that you can share with us that uh, you would find make it easier to, to go into this kind of production mm -hmm. system? With any new system, um, there's definitely a steep learning curve. What was difficult for us transitioning from soil planting to substrate was the level of the daily management. You know, in the Central Valley where we wouldn't have rain for six, seven months, at some points we were irrigating anywhere from 10 to 13 times a day. Now that's pulse irrigation. So changing your fertility on, you know, a multi-day or weekly or bi-weekly basis and your irrigation schedule based off your daily real-time data readings is tough in the beginning. So, at the, you know, we'd have um, what they call lysimeters that would collect the drainage out of a certain number of pots in different sections of the field. And we'd look at how much water went into the plant and how much came out of the bottom of the, the pot. And then we'd look at the, the EC and pH readings, and then we'd adjust for the following day. So typically with your soil blueberry planting, you might only change your nutritional ration, you know, two to four times a year, depending on the grower. So there is that. And we are planning on doing another substrate planting here in the future. What I do different is it's all about prep work. So making sure all your materials are there. We chose to laser our fields to handle runoff, getting that squared away, and then just really doing your homework on your densities and varieties and making sure you start off on the right foot. It's an expensive system to put in in the beginning, and it, it does have a really good return on investment, but you, you definitely want to cross your T's and dot your I's before you get started. And like most systems, because this is a system, it's not just you know getting the right substrate, throwing it in the right size pot, and then doing your stuff. What I have seen and, and it is pretty complicated. I mean, it's, again, it is an entire system. It has to sort of be designed from the get-go, how you're going to put these things together. You're mixing your nutrients, your pulse irrigation. You're not just turning the switch and letting a bunch of sprinklers go on and things like that. And I know you mentioned, at least at startup, it was sort of a big hurdle to jump over Talk a little bit more through that. What what really is involved and how did you have to evolve that system to really address the, the watering and the nutrition, measuring EC and all these all these kind of things? Yeah, so on our on our first planting or our soil planting, we were, like I said, really rudimentary. We had one dosatron and um, an acid system because that field started off 
conventional and, you know, our PCA or CCA would come out and make a nutritional recommendation, maybe quarterly. And then we'd adjust to that. We did have soil moisture probes from Rainbird out in the field that we'd look at, but we never really based our irrigations off of that. I like to be hands-on, so we'd use a traditional soil probe. And when we moved to substrate, long story short, we ended up going through three different computer systems to find the one we liked. And a lot of that is based around tech support and functionality. Um, There is a bit of a learning curve with these systems because most of them originate overseas. And, you know, just something as simple as doing with leaders or milliliters is not something is common to us. And that's easy math to people in the States. But after the, the first substrate ranch, getting it figured out, we learned that we had to design, you know, kind of a home base pod to feed these. So we'd take a container, a seed container, 40 footer, and we'd put our fertigation computer in there that would regulate our EC. And then we'd have, since we were organic, we'd have a sulfur burner that had a a small computer on it with a pH probe that would, you know, we'd set a target and then it would function off of that. Uh, We'd have our fertilizer tanks and with organics, we had to constantly research those tanks to keep the material in suspension. And then once you've got your nuts and bolts all put together, the fertilizer computer becomes fairly easy. It would handle our irrigations and our fertility on a day-to-day basis. So for instance, I'd go in and I'd, you know, target this many minutes on per valve and this would be the feed ratio. Our systems had six or seven pumps on them that would pull your, you know, your macros and your micros from the tanks and inject them at that level. And then at the end of the day, like I said before, we'd go to our lysimeters, we'd test that, we'd look at that. And once you saw a level, you know, your EC level creeping up, um, you'd adjust your irrigation to that. So one thing I've seen with developing ranches and being around other growers that are doing the same thing is, and that's kind of the beauty of this, there's not just one set way that works. Everybody's system kind of works to their own needs and desires. But with this, you really got to develop your own program. And so what we did was we were taking SAP samples at the time. And that, along with our our, our water samples, we would compile all that data and then make adjustments from there. A little more complicated than uh, just going out and flipping your rainbird switch on in uh, (laughs) some of the fields. (laughs) And it is, and I don't mean to scare people away. The benefits of the system, though, were the yield and the pounds and the the rapid growth. Uh, We used to say that we were getting three times the amount of growth in one season as compared to our soil planting and other soil plantings we'd seen around. So it was definitely worth the effort. I'm going to jump in here so we can take a quick break for our marketing boost segment. We'll be back to this engaging conversation on Substrate in a moment. But for now, here's USHBC NABC Vice President of Marketing Communications, Jennifer Spark. Thank you, Casey. Let's talk about the importance of thought leadership in your content to create loyalty and engagement with your desired audiences. From big brands to small businesses to associations, organizations of all kinds are using thought leadership to connect with their customers. One example of that happened just last week as USHBC took part in the Flavor Experience, a virtual conference for one of our most important audiences, 
food service operators, and chefs. This opportunity gave us the chance to establish our thought leadership with these professionals. To prepare, we took into consideration all the changes and challenges this year has brought to the food service industry and how many operators are assessing how to reconfigure their restaurants to better facilitate curbside pickup, delivery orders, grab-and-go, and increased outdoor dining. We considered what operators really wanted and needed to know and how we could truly support them at this time. The result? a new trends video that explores the restaurant of the future and how blueberries can deliver. The video features 3D architectural renderings that illustrate how restaurant footprints can adapt to best meet evolving patron and operator needs. It also showcases blueberry-inclusive recipes that meet the increased needs of operators for products that hold well for delivery, work across the menu, and fit with flavor trends that patrons seek out. Want to check it out? Go to ushbc.org restaurant. Take a look and feel free to use it as you talk with your customers about the inspiring possibilities of blueberries. So, thought leadership. As you make your plans for 2021, think about how you can educate and inform your customers in a way that keeps them wanting more of your insight. It could make all the difference in setting you apart. This has been your marketing boost. Thank you for your partnership, as together we inspire the world to experience the amazing benefits of blueberries. Back to you, Casey. Thanks, Jenny. Now let's head back to our conversation about growing blueberries and substrate with Rod, Pablo, and Jordan. Pablo, I guess, where does Allegro see the future of substrate and the industry? I mean, obviously, your family-owned business is for what, now almost 100 years, I guess. Do you see the future going even further controlled? I mean, are we all going to be growing our plants in factories with uh, LED lights and, you know, air conditioning and heating units and things like, is that ultimately where it's all going or where's Legro think the future is in the substrate deal? <laughs> it's a good one, Rod. Um, let's see some facts uh, that we see nowadays. We see an increase in world population that is definitely pushing the demand of food production. Possible to see that there's an increase in, in High demand of, of high value products is, is also expected to grow together with the middle class that is also growing and uh, especially in the developed countries. Uh, the demand of the local markets has become more and more important, especially since the start of the pandemic. You might, you for sure have to realize that also the market is asking for higher quality products in terms of organically produced, better taste, better appearance. Simultaneously, we also see the effect of climate change and the importance to be more respectful in terms of uh, efficiency of the, of the natural resources. So as, as a conclusion, it's possible to oversee that agriculture needs to evolve. Every crop and every production location will adapt to the market demands. And definitely, yeah, labor will be there to serve and cooperate with growers in the next step. Yeah, I think what Pablo just said there was something we didn't touch on much, but also along with that uniformity comes a really high quality fruit. Um, in these systems, you know, around the plants themselves, there's almost zero dust involved. And the other big thing that we always talk about in blueberries is weed control and what a nightmare that can be. Um, in these systems, if you do it right, right from the get-go, there is very minimal weed control. Um, whereas with our, our soil planting the first couple years, you know, we pretty much camped a guy there and we'd have to bring crews in to handle weeds. So 
getting it out of the soil, away from the dust, away from the weeds, you lower your insect incidence and you, you really get high quality fruit. I guess my question to that is the quality is related to the varieties. And you were talking earlier that the varieties, you know, are the ones that you're kind of testing out to see which, which varieties transfer well into these substrate systems. So, I mean, you mentioned two, but what's the future look like and where's the future taking it in relationship um, to these, okay, vari- these a, varieties? It's a good one because it's, it's possible to see that the trend in the, in the genetic programs as well, especially when you're going into, into exportation, people focus on, on, on good, good flavor, very able to, to last longer shelf life and also to travel. But in that direction, also substrate has to focus on different, in this case, a solution that had to be a full solution for the different type of varieties. What I mean with this is that independently on the variety you're using, the substrate must take the best of each genetic program. So what we've learned is that if you put all these varieties that with a not good or not stable root development, the, you, in, in the soil condition, you can start using them under such condition because you have uh, the benefit that you're taking them out from soil. And then that's the reason why some genetic programs are using substrate as a starting point in order to do the crossovers and to ensure soil is not an uncertainty anymore. Is there a ballpark for blueberry growers that you can see now overall that you can share like average cost per acre for the substrate system in comparison? Because I I hear us talk about, you know, bigger berries, faster yields, you know, all the things that would get people excited about what we're talking about, but there's a cost to this. Yeah, that's a good one. Maybe Jordan has the the full overview, but I can tell you in in terms of substrate itself and and the investment, because at the end, you are making an investment for over 12 years. You are aiming for a plant that will last for all that time of even more. And if you do that, you will think on a, on a seven gallon plant, a seven gallon substrate. And in this case, we are talking about between, uh, $250, even, even $3 per pot. That's what would be the, the, the initial cost per plant. Of course, things can change, uh, based on the, on the quantity and also on the size, et cetera. Then in terms of, of initial investment, including tunnels, because that's also something important to be aware. Where are you going to be based? And, uh, what are the threats you, you have in mind? Because if you go, I don't know, situations like if you go to South America, Peru, for instance, you don't even need a, a hoop. You just need some top irrigation system, good substrate. You sometimes, yeah, and you must have a drain collector and that's it. You can keep uh, an investment no higher than maybe 65,000 per hectare. Uh, so approximately 30,000 30, per acre. If you go here in the USA, it's going to be, if you go in the Central Valley and you don't use hoops, for instance, and you want to be organic under specific conditions, we are talking about a hundred thousand per acre, approximately per hectare, approximately. So maybe Jordan has the more accurate data on that. Yeah. So yeah, Pablo's cost, obviously he knows the cost on substrate. I would say right now, if you were developing a system in the Central Valley without any kind of shade or tunnel structure, you're probably looking at inputs around $16 a plant, including your irrigation and fertigation setup, which is a lot compared to a soil planting. But getting to that early growth and that early fruit made it worth it to us. You know, if you really did your homework, I would say your return on investment 
is most likely going to happen in the third year with organic fruit. All right. Well, I want to thank both Pablo and Jordan for their time today. Thanks so much, guys. Very, very interesting. I am sure you've given a lot of information out to our listeners, introducing them, some of them to an entirely new system, others giving them a little bit more understanding of, of both the benefits, but also the challenges of trying to grow blueberries in a substrate system. So I want to thank you for your time and for your knowledge and sharing yeah, thank you. Thank Happy you, to know that. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Casey. Thanks, Rod. Thanks, Rod. Thanks, Casey. Well, that's a fascinating conversation there with Jordan and Pablo. I really appreciate those guys sharing their time and expertise. Rod, you got a lot of great questions answered. What were your big takeaways from this episode? Well, first off, I wanted everybody to understand that it, it, it is a system. You don't just you know, throw a bunch of stuff in a pot and throw a plant in there and, you know, miracle of miracles, you're in the substrate business. It it really takes a lot of effort and a lot of technical know-how. We might've got into the weeds, in fact, a little deep in in places for people. Hopefully they stuck with us. But I, I do think it's interesting in terms of Jordan's firm, I would say very firm uh, commitment that the ROI is good on this uh, system, at least in the Central Valley, California. I also thought it very important that consistency, when you can grow a plant and every plant is really the same height, it's the same size, it's got the same nutritional deals. It is amazing to me when you go through a lot of these older fields that I've come across everywhere, you know, a few plants missing in the field or some weak plants, it it really makes a huge difference on every input you put in. You're over-fertilizing those small plants versus the big ones. You're under-fertilizing or, you know, whatever. You're taking time down a row where there are gaps and, and can't do things. So it's that consistency that you are able to get there is really important. And the speed with which you can, at least in the lower latitudes, get these plants into production is something that I know my mentors John Nelson, uh, back in Michigan, many, many, many years ago, he wouldn't believe what they're able to do in these pots today. It's it's very, very interesting and innovative farming. I agree. And, and I think, you know, my takeaway was one line that I won't forget was three times the growth of soil planting. And so if you're somebody who's, you know, either in this business or thinking about, you know, getting into this business, you have to take a look at this in order to potentially realize what they were talking about in terms of that return on investment. It's, you know, it sounds like it's not just sticking things in the ground and a lot of work on the upfront and and being able to stay on top of this. But in the end, uh, you can see just how the inputs, you know, play into production and how quickly those varieties that you're investing in, you know, start to provide that return. And just hearing your, your sense of its comparison between, you know, that and conventional, I just think this is going to be a fascinating episode for people to take a listen and, and consider, you know, what's being said here as uh, something that could be that innovation for them. You know, the part that I was listening for was where in the country is Legro targeting, you know, their marketing. And I think Pablo shared a little bit about some of the regions that they're working in today. But, you know, which regions in the United States beyond California are going to benefit the most the quickest from something like this because you can hear for those regions like the Central Valley and Peru where you don't need a lot of that infrastructure, it's easier for them. The upfront costs aren't as high. So what is the future and, and you know who is considering this and, and how many growers uh, today and in the future are going to be looking at this substrate as a, uh, as a technology to, to drive the future of the blueberry business? So I found this conversation fascinating. Yeah, it really opens up 
new areas or or reopens up some areas. I mean, I work with some some growers in the Arkansas area, and I think of you know some of the soils just really aren't suitable, and they've struggled, struggled, struggled to get production. Well, this this type of system uh, may be very effective there, and it might open up a, a new market window or a different market window that they frankly didn't have a great hope of reaching before, and they might be able to with this type of growing system. Well, incredible. I hope people have really appreciated it. I appreciate you, Rod, bringing another great tech moment to our Business of Blueberry podcast. This is great, and I'm looking forward to the next one already, but another home run here. Okay, that's it for episode 25. These tech episodes have really been a hit. In fact, the mechanical harvesting episode already has 450 downloads. It really is amazing to see the response to this podcast. And I want to say thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with more innovation, collaboration, family, and hard work right here. This is a blue